a percentage chance to win a medal at any point in your career. And the analysis was done and we ended up uh, really building out a more robust development system. So depending on the sport, a lot more 15, 16, 17, 18 year old athletes. And the couple sports that have really grabbed onto that uh, and, and really built out that system are really starting to see success now. And I had anticipated it would land in the 2026 Olympics, but we really might see a couple really young Olympians uh, from, the, from the US side here in 2022. Welcome back to season two, episode two of Data Masters. I'm really excited about our guest this week, Gus Kading. So far, all of our guests have been from the business world, academia, or the government. However, Gus is unique. He's applying his data know-how and expertise to a different arena, the arena of athletics. He's the performance data manager for the US ski and snowboard team, a role in which he oversees data and analytics for seven sports, 17 teams, and over 100 athletes. Gus's work is pivotal in the lead up and preparation for the 2022 Winter Olympics in Beijing. Welcome, Gus, and thanks for coming on Data Masters. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Awesome. So I thought we could start our conversation, you know, uh, more at a personal level and talk a little bit about your personal history. Uh, and, you know, I think it's fair to say in the world of data and analytics, you may have the most coveted job of all uh, working with skiers. Uh, presumably you do all of your analytics on the ski slope. Uh, no, in seriousness, I'm, you know, I'm curious, how do you become uh, the performance data manager for the U.S. ski and snowboard team? Yeah, well, it was it was a long time in the making and uh, a lot of self-discovery along the way. But I started in uh, as an athlete and, and coaching with the U.S. ski team and had, you know, I had a mathematics background from college and had always wanted to apply that to, to something else going forward. So when I kind of saw the end of the coaching realm for me, um, I decided to go back to school and I got my MBA. When I did that, I wrote my essays on uh, starting a new department at US Ski and Snowboard that was an analytics department. Um, and going to school in Boston, there's all sorts of awesome opportunities there. The <clears throat> MIT Sports Analytics Conference, um, you know, there's just a lot of data being used in whatever industry. And so um, I was able to return to, to US Ski and Snowboard in a different role following graduate school and a role that had not existed to this point. Um, and I was actually uh, hired into that role by pitching a process to the US Ski team um, about using data for team selection and how data could be used to give our team a competitive advantage over other Olympic teams going forward. So, you, you know, you, you come at the role uh, from the perspective of a, of a practitioner. So, and, you know, as an athlete, do you, do you think that gives you a sense of kind of empathy and maybe reality for the impact that data and analytics can have 
uh, for a skier? Yeah, I think the in in probably any industry, but where I've seen it most clearly is in sports. The collision, I would say, between athletics with high emotions and a lot of just gut feelings and cold, hard data is a tough one. And uh, having a background not only as a coach, but also as an athlete has given me not only a little bit more insight of how to best communicate some of those insights and challenges, um, but also just to get buy-in from all of the stakeholders, whether they're athletes or coaches and what they're really trying to solve for and allowing me to help as part of that process, as opposed to just um, delivering, you know, demands and, uh, and it's, it's really more of a community effort as opposed to two sides working against each other. Yeah, I think this is probably a theme many of our listeners are quite familiar with in, in sort of this idea of uh, creating alignment between a data function and a business function. Uh, and, and here you're trying to do it between a data function and a sports and performance and athletes. And as you point out, like gut and emotion and, you know, the way things always have been are often strong drivers for decision making in the sports arena. And I, I, I think, you know, one of the themes, uh, you know, one of the things I'm sure is on everyone who's listening's mind is the book and movie Moneyball. Uh, which you know, talked about how data and analytics fundamentally rethought, uh, in that case, Major League Baseball. Um, is there an element of sort of money ball for, for skiing that's going on here? Is that a fair analogy or, or, or an unfair analogy? Yeah, it's funny you bring that up. Um, when I first started this position, you know, I kind of told my mom what I'd be doing and she was like, are, are you going to be like Brad Pitt? And I was like, well, if think it more is the other guy. And uh, that was the last time she asked me about my job in the last three years. I love it. But um, <laughs> actually in, in business school, <laughs> we, in one of our strategy classes, they played that clip uh, with, with Brad Pitt and all the scouts, you know, what is the problem? What is the problem over and over and over again? And, um, and that is, is, is exactly where we are at with the U.S. ski team. Um, and we are trying to identify the problem. And the difference between us and baseball is when, when Brad Pitt identifies the problem, it's um, players who get on base, on base percentage. And essentially our problem is getting athletes from the start line to the finish line as fast as possible or from the start line to the finish line with as high a score as possible in some of our judge sports. The key difference, and I think the really fun part, is baseball had these troves of data that they had collected over the years for baseball cards and whatever. Um, we have no data. We had no data. And so we got a fresh start at all these problems. And the tricky part is when you identify a problem and you're working with no data, you're essentially identifying a problem that you want to address three years down the road. So you have to think way ahead and your strategies have to be really aligned across all departments. So we've, we tried to do that um, when I was hired 
And now it's year three for me. You're going to year four. And it's the exciting time because I feel we've gotten enough data where we can begin to really answer some of those questions that we've sought out, uh, that, we, that we established from the start. So um, kind of switching from collection to analysis now, which is, which is yeah, super exciting. Yeah, again, a theme I think I'm, I'm sure many listeners sort of resonate with uh, this idea that you go to answer a business question and you know the response is, well, we don't have that data or that data is trapped in five different silos and you know the first order of business is to bring it together. Um, and I'm sensitive to the fact that, you know, as you point out, like you've spent a lot of time, uh, you, you, you know, collecting this data, in many cases, not collecting in the sense of finding and bringing it together, but collecting it in the sense of actually measuring it for the first time. Um, you know, one of the fun parts about Moneyball as a story, and you pointed out on base percentage as kind of this key metric, uh, but the key metric also resulted in some counterintuitive conclusions. Uh, you know, the, the team that the A's put together you know, didn't look like, in, in a very literal sense, didn't look like a conventional baseball team, um, but, you know, was um, outfitted appropriately across the metrics that matter. Uh, have you found any similar counterintuitive conclusions from a skiing perspective, or are there counterintuitive hypotheses that you're working to um, validate? You know, probably the one that jumps out um, earliest on and is still the most controversial is, is the funding of our programs. So in business school, I did strategy and finance. And so one of the things I've tried to align myself here with is, is linking um, data to more resource allocated decisions. And right from the start, we name our team, well, before I arrived, we named our teams generally just off of gut, off of discretion, off of what the coaches saw. And is there a place for that? Absolutely. But should you be adding in a data perspective to have more informed decisions? Yes. And so when I did an analysis of kind of the way we had been naming teams, um, I identified that there was a group of athletes kind of at the higher level who really didn't fall into the goal of the organization, which is uh, winning medals. And so the, the question became, does an athlete who has already, you know, has a lot of experience, uh, is a little older and has progressed to here, does he have a, or he or she have a better chance of winning a medal as a younger, uh, than a younger athlete? And um, that was something we were able to look at a lot of historical data on and, and really break it down just by simple uh, percentages and look at percentage chance to win a medal at any point in your career. And the analysis was done and we ended up uh, really building out a more robust development system. So depending on the sport, a lot more 15, 16, 17, 18 year old athletes. And the couple sports that have really grabbed onto that uh, and, and really built out that system are really starting to see success now. And I had anticipated it would land in the 2026 Olympics, 
but we really might see a couple really young Olympians uh, from the from the U.S. side here in 2022, and and that's really exciting. So it's basically just a, a reallocation of resources, whether it's coaching, money, focus, um, and that was one of our our key early insights. I, I love that example because I think it's very analogous to what we see in business. You know, you might have an emerging product line uh, and the tendency is to allocate resources consistent with how you've done it in prior years, uh, which, is which is very analogous to what you talked about, which is allocating resources to you know, the skiers who've shown a commitment to the program, who've been there for some time. And that's like that's the, you know, the analogy of you know, putting resources into the products that are dominant in the market. But what you point out is that to achieve the goal, and you frame the goal so well, to win medals, and in, you know, in business that, that could be you know, share price or market share or revenue performance, profitability, to achieve the goal, you might need to make some bets on the young high potential. And you know, in your case, young high potential uh, skiers, but in business could be the young high potential business units or product lines. Uh, so, yeah, you, what, what do you think? Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. I would say that the young potential would be like the R&D department, uh, thinking a little bit more long-term. Um, the difficult aspect certainly is the communication of these changes. And, you know, using your example, it would be like phasing out a kind of a favorite line of some product that's going uh, that's getting a little long in the tooth and bringing in something, you know, that maybe you expect to have more success in the future. And that is a difficult conversation to have. The one uh, thing that we really have behind us is we are able to frame up that goal and then support our decisions with data. And then the kind of the previous way, you know, the argument is just, that's how we've always done it. And I think uh, very well understood across the business world now and increasingly well across the sports world is that is not a, that is not a good excuse anymore. And, and watch out for when that jumps into your mind when approaching a problem. And did you find that uh, using data, it's a way of sort of like um, insulating the, the personal in that conversation. I mean, you know, for, for a skier and, and in a sports program, it's truly personal. You're talking about human beings, at least in the business world, we're talking about a, a product line and, and you know, uh, hopefully product, product lines don't have feelings, but is, is it, does it help to turn to data? Yeah, I think it does. And it, it, it doesn't, I'm not sure it helps to turn to data in hindsight um, but one of the challenges even before was athletes had no expectation or clarification of why they would have been on or off the team. It was really just up to the coaches. So it's that ambiguity that really leads to those, uh, to those, you know, tough, uh, those tough solutions and, and tough things in the athletes and community mind. But when you're able to lay out beforehand you know, the data points, 
the one, two, three, this is going to, what's going to take. And if you achieve any of these, you're on the team, no ifs, ands, or buts, then they get to the end of the season. They can say, okay, did I achieve this or not? No, I did not. And um, that is a lot clearer in their mind and can really help with that conversation following that, make it a little easier. I love it. So that's a great, um, yeah, it's a great lesson for, for everyone listening to take is sort of helping the, having the data, uh, you know, help and also having it be something that you talk about ahead of mm -hmm. um, making some of these difficult uh, decisions. In, in Managing academic. expectations, a really important part of all this, I feel like. So the other challenge, uh, you know, with athletes, we've talked a lot about uh, how the coaches and the team are using data to rethink how they select uh, who's on the team. But I know that one of the places you've been investing a lot of energy is in actually sharing the data with the athlete themselves and changing individual behavior. Uh, you want to share a little bit about uh, how that works and, and, uh, and how you're using data with individual skiers? Yeah, I think um, anytime you're delivering data, uh, you have to think really carefully about your method of delivery. And I, I listened to a previous podcast with, uh, with Kathleen Malley, which was exceptional. And I thought she framed up this problem really well. And so for me, I'm essentially two steps removed from the athletes, but I'm trying to affect athlete performance. So my decision is, do I give this uh, insights or direct data to the coaches or do I give it to the athletes? And generally <laughs> to keep one of my key stakeholders happy, I do give it directly to the coaches and I allow them to filter it to the athletes as they see fit. Um, now, every once in a while, I get the privilege of going directly to the athlete and, and oftentimes you know, every time I will include the coach in that conversation. You, you have to keep everyone in the room happy. That's, that's step one. Um, but a fun example uh, <clears throat> recently that we've done is I think we have a, a world-class medical department and um, <clears throat> they had the foresight a number of years ago to start really thoughtfully collecting ACL injury data. And that is one of our um, biggest injuries uh, each year. At any given time, on any given team, we can have up to 40% of our athletes out, which is just, um, it, it's really a hindrance, especially at approaching a big competition. So um, over the years, we've been able to develop a, a pretty good data set of ACL injuries and recently went through an analysis of um, what went into each ACL injury, uh, whether it was different snow type, um, different mechanism of injury, then different uh, surgery type, different graft type, uh, different surgeon, different location, rehab location, rehab length, um, different markers through the rehab. And um, one of the exciting projects we were just able to wrap up was <clears throat> looking at what factors led to those ACL injuries. And, and that's something that the athletes really care about. You know, 
they might not be so apt to hear that I'm on this team or I'm not on this team. But when you're telling them this is, uh, these are one, two, and three things you can do to help keep you healthy. Um, that is ultimately beneficial to them. Will help keep them on the course. Will keep help keep those sponsors interested. More money for them, and will help buy in with our own programs. And ultimately, um, maybe fill out that next survey that I send, or um, when the when the next project comes around. Uh, those are the key stakeholders that I want to engage and to keep happy. So that's uh, just one example of how we're trying to work with the athletes and the coaches directly. That's great. And this, the, you know, the, the link to think about there is, you know, the coach is a little bit like the manager <laughs> and the athlete is like the, the person, the individual contributor. And I, I, this idea of keeping all the stakeholders involved uh, in the communication, you don't just drop a bunch of data on the coach and expect them to be able to communicate it clearly uh, to to the skier, and you don't also, you know, just have the skier taking a look at data and expect them to be able to uh, dispassionately draw conclusions. It's, it's for them, it's a passion. It's their it's their their job, and especially in the context of injuries, that passion that passion can often have. I assume have, have skiers making decisions wanting to get back on the course too quickly to push themselves. Um, have you been able to share insights with them about you know about that? Uh, yes, but I would say with an asterisk. That is, it's the hottest topic in sports these days. Uh, if you look across any of the the pro sports. Um, looking at injury prevention is one of one of the biggest trends. Um, and so one of the ways we do it uh, is athletes, they train every day and they record their training. And what we look at with that training is their load. And so basically how hard was a given day on the athlete's body? And one of the metrics we use in this uh, is called RPE. And it's, and it's just, it, it really is a load measurement day by day. And there's very good data that shows if an athlete's chronic load um, becomes lower than their acute load, meaning if they've worked too hard recently uh, with no base before that, they are more susceptible to injury. So what we do is every day when they, enter their training, basically have this algorithm updating and right on their phone or dashboard or wherever they choose to have it, they can see uh, what percentage they are at in this acute to chronic ratio. And they know that if they get above a certain threshold, I got to back it off for a few days because I am now opening myself up to injury. And injury prevention is, is one of the biggest things that we look at because you can't you can't improve unless you are out there training and racing on a daily basis. Yeah, and, and you can't win a medal without an ACL. So you've really got to keep these athletes, uh, you know, injury free if you're gonna if you're gonna achieve the the ultimate goal of the organization, which is more medals. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think that's a it's a great example, and I love that idea of operationalizing that metric. Uh, you know, this idea that the athlete is every day looking at that number and, and using it as a way to remove their emotional reaction to, you know, I've just got to push harder for one more day. And, and, and that can be the difference between, you know, 
being on the slope uh, in Beijing and not. Yeah, the interesting concept there that um, whether it's that ratio or, or on any other metric is, you know, you spoke to the different managers and their different styles. Each athlete and each coach is different too. And, and some coaches are, you know, you give them a metric and they're going to, they're going to be on that metric every day, no matter what. And that's just not how data works. Um, there's gray areas and there's, there's other considerations. And so that's the fun part to me is managing the different personalities and knowing how you have to deliver these messages a little differently. Um, some coaches, you know, you just send them your, your coding script and, and that's all they want. But the, some of the other ones, you have, to, you have to sit down with a beer and explain, you know, this is, uh, this is why we're doing this and this is the metric. But, you know, if, if you vary a little bit here or there, that's okay, but, but give a call and, and we'll discuss it through. Um, so really interesting to, to work with the different personalities and different uh, understandings of, uh, of the data throughout this. Yeah, so th this idea that, uh, you know, ultimately, you know, as in business, the people doing the work are, are people. Uh, so they, they have to engage with the data in a very human way. They have to, it, it's filtered through, as you point out, their personality, maybe even their capability. Some may understand things more intuitively, uh, have been more data-driven in their training, others uh, less so, and so you need to meet them where they are. Yeah, exactly. And I actually think it's important to give a, a kind of use them as a sense check as well. Um, lots of times you're you're delivering insights that may go against a, a bias, but when they raise a red flag, um, that's something I want to take back and look at because it's it's actually quite interesting when you look at these insights and you deliver them to them. Most of the time they say, yeah, that looks about right. And so I think the human mind generally, um, generally <laughs> is quite good at evaluating these things, especially these coaches who have made it to the highest level. They are there for a reason because they are quite good at their jobs. Um, but every once in a while, they'll raise a red flag. And yes, it's okay to push back, but you better be pretty sure of what you're what you're pitching. And that's a, that's a chance to go back and look at your own, your own data. Maybe the underlying assumptions are wrong. Maybe, maybe it's something you haven't even thought of. Um, so I, I will say throughout this whole process, I've certainly learned that these coaches have made it to the highest level for a reason and you can push against their instincts, but you should also listen to them as well. Yeah. Again, I think something that uh, everyone in business should take back again a, a senior executive with a lot of experience a lot of uh, gut uh, you know it's an important check on you know whether a result we got from data was spurious or real let's talk a little bit about I mean I think something that a lot of listeners would empathize with is working with limited resources you know I know that the the U.S. Ski and Snowboard team is a nonprofit, and and you know you are you don't have, as you pointed out at the very beginning, you don't have uh, copious amounts of data. Uh, you don't have uh, a team of 350 people, you know, collecting and analyzing data. Uh, you know, so but you do have a tremendous variety of different sports and teams and athletes. So there's you know there's a lot of resource there. How do you work with uh, and, and have such amazing results 
in the face of limited resources? Well, one advantage that we do have, um, you're right, there are limited resources, not only in terms of, of money, but also personnel. Um, one of the advantages we have is that uh, working in an Olympic sport, you are a little bit, there is an end goal that is different than just the bottom line. So uh, everyone is in this to accomplish something that goes beyond money. And that creates more of a community aspect. So when you are pitching these ideas to athletes, coaches, um, even people outside the organization, there is a greater sense to help. And I get emails every day from people outside the organization just saying, hey, I've seen the things you're working on. Would you like some help? And um, more often than not, I say no, just because <laughs> it takes as long to bring someone up to speed as it does to do it myself. But um, one thing I've had a lot of success with recently is, is an intern program. And the way that's been structured is I just, over the course of the year, I create a list of problems. And they are things that may not be at the top of my list, but are really interesting to work on. And when I ask for intern applications, um, you know, all I do is I present a list of problems and I say, I think these are pretty cool. If you think these are pretty cool, you just get to choose which ones you want to work on. And I think <laughs> interns love that freedom. Um, we've, and, and as a result, we've, we've been able to get some really fantastic interns out of Harvard and uh, UNC and uh, just top-notch colleges all over the place. And, and these are resources who come in who are often um, really talented in, in niche areas and are able, I am able to use as a resource. And one of the things we've had success with is, is keeping in touch with this small community um, who have gone on to, to professional careers and PhD programs now. And when I have a tough problem, uh, I'll ask the community and they'll come back and, and offer solutions or maybe introduce me to someone who can help. And that's been a really fun part of this job and has kind of kept me uh, professionally motivated and, and learning new things, um, especially from some of the young ones coming up who, who take classes in college that did not even exist when I went through school, which was not that long ago. I love that. that this idea of, uh, of tapping into an intern community, uh, especially in, you know, in, in the space of data and analysis uh, is a great one. Uh, you know, as you point out, uh, uh, students today are learning uh, you know, things certainly that even that I didn't, you didn't, uh, and the ability to apply that, uh, especially with such a laudable outcome, uh, you know, helping the, the U.S. ski team uh, is, yeah, it sounds like a, a, a dream, a dream opportunity. Anyone listening uh, who is, a, uh, you know, in school these days, you should, you know, drop Gus an email. It sounds like there's a, a great internship opportunity. Maybe we could cast our eyes to the future for a moment. And uh, I, I want to ask you to make a prediction about uh, the U.S. ski and snowboard team's performance uh, in the Winter Olympics, but I will, I will bite my tongue and instead ask from a data perspective, where do you see the U.S. ski and snowboard team going 
what are some of the innovative things you're working on? Uh, how do you see the future of data and skiing and data in sports? Yeah, so actually it's, it's planning and uh, review time of the season. And the hot question this, this time of year, always by the board members, by the trustees, is how many medals are we going to win next year? And um, I just did that analysis and I, I pitched it and I will, uh, I'll keep that under wraps for the moment, but I will say that the US Olympic Committee comes out with a total every year based on uh, an ELO system, which is uh, kind of a, a chess rating system on um, athlete versus athlete head-to-head -head matchups, um, but millions of them. And that is shockingly accurate. So when the U.S. Olympic Committee comes out with their total, I would encourage everyone to look at, look at that. Um, but as far as future technology, one of the areas we're really interested in right now is, well, you know, going back to the problem, um, getting from start to finish as fast as possible. We are restricted by what we can do in that time uh, with the start and finish. And so look at alpine skiing where athletes often will hit 80 miles an hour down a two mile course in 10 degree weather with, with a 20 degree uh, mile an hour headwind. Um, very difficult to get data on a thing like that. Um, <clears throat> so we have really, I would say two projects going to, to combat that. Um, one is uh, a really granular sensor um, that will go on to the, the athlete's boot and will deliver uh, really granular information about elevation, loss, gain, um, and, and to, you know, let's see, the, uh, well, it's to the hundredth of a second, at least, it, it, it escaping me exactly. But then there's also pitch, um, you know, roll of the ankle, and it's really going to allow us to go what understand what goes into a good and a bad alpine turn, which then results in a faster or slower run. So that's, that's kind of approaching that problem from the sensor side. And, and the challenge there is it's, it's something you wouldn't think is the challenge. The, the math is difficult, but very doable. It's the battery life. Um, when it's that cold, you can't get a battery that lasts for more than 10 minutes. Um, so that is something we've, uh, been working on and I think are progressing on, but the other end of the, uh, spectrum is using video analysis. And again, you're not in a set environment. So very difficult to have a video of a, of an athlete going at 80 miles an hour for two miles. Um, so what we we have to do is, is use closed environments where we can. And as things like computer vision, um, really continue to progress. Uh, we are cautiously waiting, I would say, for the prices to come down a little bit to roll out in any sort of mass use, but are now um, beta testing with specific athletes in more closed environments and using kind of video technology to understand what goes into pose estimation on a good turn or a bad turn and really looking at how that impacts uh, to start to end time. Fascinating. So a really, a, it sounds like a big bet on sort of IoT and uh, you know, really ramping the collection of data, new data sources, 
uh, and sort of figuring out how to bring all those data sources together. And again, I love the way it always connects back to the, the key overall objective, which is, you know, how do we best represent this country uh, in the Olympics and we sort of maximize uh, the, the number of medals we bring home. So, uh, so Gus, you know, I want to thank you. Uh, it's been a, a great conversation. Uh, there's a lot in here for listeners to take away as they approach and attack some of the key uh, data challenges in their organization. Uh, I want to thank you for your time and, and for some amazing insights. Yeah, thank you, Anthony. Uh, thanks for the time, and I'll be a, I'll be a listener from here on out. I've really enjoyed the previous episodes, so congrats on the success. And um, yeah, thanks. Yeah, good luck in Beijing.